Um, okay, so it's very nice to see you. And in fact, I am feeling just great gratitude this morning. I just wanted to share that just before I, I um, share what I, I have in mind this morning as far as a Dharma talk. Um, the gratitude, I feel there's two things I just wanted to say. One is the content of today's Dharma talk arises out of our practice week. In particular, I'm feeling that this week and I am really grateful. You know, it's not like we can replicate monastic practice out here in the hinterland, out here on the frontier. <laughs> and still, you know, there, there is this wonderful invitation and opportunity to, to see about practice, formal practice, intentional practice with a sangha, infusing your week. You know, it's like returning to the cushion. You go out. I mean, it's all your life. It's not like you live your life and then you return to the cushion and think about it. <laughs> it's like all your life, you know, just sort of have these different windows to see your life, to see Dharma, you know, to see Buddha. This is what I'm trying to talk about. And I'm, so I'm feeling this morning the joy in my body of being in the garden yesterday with Sitetsu, the wonderful welcome garden and how much life is happening there and seeing Sitetsu this morning and hearing Sitetsu's bells and her voice. It's just, it's so wonderful to be able to have these different inroads into ourselves, each other, and what we call the Buddha Dharma. And then also, you know, Dave meeting with you in the garden after sitting with you and Julia on Friday night. And, you know, so, and then being in the library earlier that day, it's just, it's so cool. It's so wonderful. And related with this, the second thing is just feeling gratitude for how we have been able to sustain this practice over the last two plus years on Zoom. I feel really moved by that this morning, that we've been able to salvage some of this bodily feeling of practice, even while we're in this virtual two-dimensional realm. Thank you so much for maintaining that for maintaining faith you know and also each one of you every single one of you right here this morning who I can see that there are so many others thank you for your generosity I'm talking about money <laughs> I'm talking about being monthly donors being monthly being an official member of the Zen Center just so appreciating that you know whether or not you're able to come as much as I would love you to come <laughs> whether or not you come to Dharma talks or classes you know just finding a way like finding a way to just interact and support and be supported by practice so I'm just really grateful to each one of you and so many others I go like this because you're out there. Maybe you're listening to the podcast. Um, 
So, yeah. And so, and, and also in this is feeling how we are starting to move into the, move back into the physical realm <laughs> and how tenuous that is. You know, we take a few steps and then there's a surge. The wastewater reports come in, <laughs> you know, about, about uh, you know, east of Boston, what the numbers are as far as the virus. And still, it does feel like we're settling into how to practice with the reality, the fact of this ever mutating virus in our lives. So... Yes, and so this is the topic of, of what I wanted to share this morning, what I've been thinking about all week, and I've been sharing a little bit, this engage and release, engage and release as kind of the foundational attitude, the attitudinal foundation, uh, at least of my life these days, how I'm working with the circumstances of being alive right now, planet Earth, 2022. And so last week, I asked the question, given this samsaric world of birth and death, of coming and going, of impermanence, vulnerability, what do we rely on? And so from that, the conversation I've been having internally and externally with whoever's willing to <laughs> engage is this, I would call it, it's a practice, but it, it really is just another way of talking about what we already are doing. And so along with this question, what do we rely on is, is watering the seeds of choice of agency that the two choices aren't just being in control, calling the shots, <laughs> forcing my way through my life, you know, and others, or feeling victimized by my life. So this, this playground in between, this zone, this Buddha field in between those two poles is, is, is what I'm talking about. And the gratitude I feel comes from all the possibilities in that field with you, all the different expressions within that field with you. So, um, you know, also here is an opportunity to drop out of sectarianism, to drop out of the provisional aspect of these different categories like Buddhist, Christian, Soto, Rinzai. And here's the big one, the hot topic, Vipassana. <laughs> You know, or I would say so Theravada, Mahayana, or Vipassana, Shamatha. And it's 
so interesting how how the mind and my mind in particular has been working this morning when I think about shamatha and vipassana. So these have been sometimes depicted as the two strains of practice following Shakyamuni's great passing. How the disciples of the Buddha, it's kind of, they, there was a split. And I think this is a really important moment because in some ways there wasn't a problem at all. It wasn't like factionalism necessarily, but it's up to us to hold that. Really what was happening, I feel, was something more like affinity. So Vipassana is insight. It's, it's traditionally understood as to see things as they really are. That's Vipassana, seeing, looking. And it's been translated through the centuries, the millennia, as you know, the categories and the different practices and the different things to do. So I think this is you know, my take on how this has all gone down. My, my feeling about this is that is very appealing to the American intellect, secularized, democratic, opening the refrigerator and pulling out what you want, what you need, what you feel like having. And I don't mean, I don't mean to be disparaging. <laughs> this is so hard. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to be disparaging of the insight tradition. I have deep respect for this, but there's a shadow to everything. And the shadow of that is within this applied Buddhism of commodifying it. Thinking that there's something to get that's outside us. And so the other side, shamatha, this tranquility practice, which has been more for the most part, and again, hold these all provisionally, the most part related with the Mahayana tradition and particularly the practice of zazen, shikantaza, just sitting, just opening to what is, to what's happening right here. And the shadow of that, and this is how I am not falling into sectarianism because it is true, the shadow is everywhere. The shadow, you could guess what the shadow of shikantaza is just sitting, a kind of complacency, a kind of bleh, <laughs> it's all good, <laughs> you know, just sit. And teachers, Zen teachers are so guilty of this when we keep saying, just sit, just sit, just sit. To some degree, absolutely that's true. Just keep sitting. And I feel my job is to find ways to encourage you to just keep sitting including as we're talking about on Thursday nights, upaya, skillful means. How do I meet you? How do I encourage you when you're using every excuse in the book? And I'm on to you, okay? It's not just your dog. Using, you should be ashamed of yourselves using your children and your grandchildren to say that you can't sit zazen kai. <laughs> now, I know, I know that sometimes this is really important, especially in a pandemic, how much you're helping the family situation, but also put your elbows up, assert practice in your life. Know how good this is for your family situation. It's a bit of a balance. It's a bit of a juggle. So I'm saying this mostly to the people in the podcast realm <laughs> who 
started here this morning. <laughs> okay. Uh, so back to something very specific and tangible. If some of you are going, what is going on here? Okay. So I said this on Friday morning in the community Zen at the library. Here are practices of what I'm trying to talk about. This is my, this is, this is an original thought people. I haven't heard anybody else say this. So you heard it here first. Okay. The gattas that my teacher Blanche taught me that I think are so helpful in kind of setting the tone for the day and setting the tone for the night for working with the cycles of daily life. When you get up in the morning, <clears throat> as soon as you open your eyes, as soon as the alarm goes off, Dave, yay, Dave, <laughs> I was thinking about you. I know your alarm went off just a little while ago and here you are. As soon as your alarm goes off or as soon as you awaken, if you're not setting your alarm, put your hands in gusho. This morning, as I wake, go ahead, put your hands in gusho. <laughs> And you can repeat after me. <laughs> this morning as I wake, I vow with all beings to see each thing as it is and not to forsake the world. Boom. Quick and easy. Done. It's like the basic Zen class. <laughs> done. Get in there. Get out. Try that. You know, see how that is. That for me epitomizes Vipassana. And, you know, and it's very, I've got a lot of hubris saying that because, well, only from the point of view of considering, you know, the practice of insight as belonging to the Vipassana sect, which I, my whole point this morning is saying that I don't think that's so. Okay, so that's setting the tone for the day to see each thing as it is and not to forsake the world, to not fall into the othering, the judginess, the categorizing, you know, the endless comparing, including within Buddhism, as I'm trying to point out, these sects, these various schools. It's like just relax into meeting each thing in its particularity, embracing the world, opening to the world. Then in the evening, at the end of the day, and this is especially for those of us who have difficulty sleeping at night. This is especially for those of us. So hands and gusho. As you're lying down, putting your mind toward sleep. It's time to rest. Here it is. This evening, as I sleep, I vow with all beings to still all things and put an end to confusion. Shamata, shikantaza, relaxing, tranquility practice, calming the mind. So with that, beginning the day, ending the day, it's what the Buddha said ultimately, these two practices 
vipassana, seeing things as they are, and shamatha, calming the mind, tranquility practice, Theravada, or, you know, the insight, vipassana school, and Mahayana, the Zen school, the Bodhisattva way. These are both, as the Buddha said, just two qualities of mind developed through meditation, not separate practices. He said, serenity and insight are conduits for nirvana. He called them the swift pair of messengers. Ending suffering through the Eightfold Noble Path. So nirvana, again, is just this. It's the third noble truth. that There is a possibility of ending suffering. Of ceasing the thrashing, the fighting. With the fact of, and I know you guys are looking at this on Tuesday nights on the Thich Nhat Hanh book the three marks of existence, the three marks of existence. This is just how it is. Impermanence, no separate permanent self. And what we call dukkha, you know, suffering or dissatisfactoriness. You know, the Stones knew it. I it just that song. You know which song I'm talking about. Just started rolling in my mind. That's yeah. I can't get no satisfaction. Well, I try. I try. I try. I try. <laughs> That's a great song. We try. We try. We try. We try. So when we're taught, that's that's you know that's um being caught up fighting against the three marks of existence, and it's it's. In a way, it's not a problem. It's just kind of what we do. And so we have practices in an ongoing way to counteract that. And whether or not you realize in your practice with these different inroads into practice, the welcome garden, the hikes, you know, the Dharma talks, the classes, They're just inroads to to kind of fortify, to shore up sturdiness because dukkha is so relentless. Because we fight our reactivity. Fighting is so relentless. So, so back to these, you know, these two qualities of mind, not separate. I feel like it's time to return to, you know, to let go, to remember the provisional nature of everything, including the differences within the Buddhist faith tradition and maybe faith traditions, period. And to return to source. And so just regarding, you know, the provisional differences between the Vipassana and the the, um, Mahayana school, the Theravada and the Mahayana schools. 
So here's something that's it's so interesting is that there are three ways, according to the Pali canon, to um, develop the mind through meditation. One is first develop calm, practice shamatha, and, and then practice insight, vipassana. The second way is to develop insight first and then practice calm abiding. <laughs> and then guess what the third one is? <laughs> develop calm abiding and insight simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, even those three just held lightly. Basically, for me, all this is, is just do your practice. You know, as Larry Ward said, this is, this is what I feel he was saying when he said, hold on to nothing and embrace everything. It's how we can, how we can live again day to day. How we start the day with energy. And that, that quality of rolling up the sleeves and getting out there, going forth into the world, meeting each person as Buddha. You know, and seeing each, each moment, as we say in the, the Enmejuku Kanogyo, Nen Nen. Nen nen, each thought moment, each thought moment, seeing it exactly as it is, impermanent, without a fixed self. You know, by the way, the fourth mark of existence, or the fourth, so this is, it's interesting, there in these different lists, these seals, sometimes they're called the three seals, or the, four, the fourth seal is Nirvana itself, just resting in awareness itself, opening completely. So this is a kind of trust. This is a kind of trust in the flow of life, the flow of reality. But I don't believe for this to be sustained and transmitted that there's any kind of shortcut to it. It's not one and done. (laughs) And besides, why would we really want it to be one and done? We would miss all those opportunities to be digging in the soil together, literally and poetically, interacting with all the creepy crawlies. (laughs) literally and figuratively. Um, So in case this has gotten too heady or too many words for you coming out of Zazen this morning, and by the way, I did have the thought. (laughs) I had the thought, uh, you know, sometimes I feel like, like my talks stir up a lot. It's not like, oh, we're all going to be fine, (laughs) you know? No, it's like, we're in deep, you know, we got, there's stuff going on. 
So sometimes I, I, I thought, I thought this morning, hmm, I wonder if we should have Zazen, Dharma talk Zazen. <laughs> so you can have a, a chance to just settle with all of these words. And, and then I thought, well, you know, maybe this is exactly what I'm trying to talk about. Can you find the calm abiding right in the midst of all the stirring up? Can you keep your your calm abiding vibrant and inquisitive? Can you watch the shadow emerge from the shadow? It is like a little dance, I think. So returning to just the body of what I'm trying to talk about this morning. I've been practicing this week with these two gatas this morning as I wake, seeing each thing as it is, not forsaking the world. I've been seeing that insight, engaging the quality of engaging the inquisitive mind, watering the seeds of inquiry as the breath in on the inhale, embracing opening fearlessly each thing as it is and on the exhale releasing allowing courage a kind of trust in letting it go it's like trusting both that whatever it is that we're engaging with is not going to take us over And also that we're going to remember whatever it is that we don't have to try, as we keep saying. So this is the kind of trust and courage that I feel like I'm practicing and I'm teaching. It's a body-based trust and courage. And I don't even know exactly what it is yet. The other thing that I feel so grateful for is over the last 10 years, the people who've come and gone and who have contributed to this inquiry and the people who are still here, who are contributing in an ongoing way to this sangha, this practice place, which is a laboratory for this. We are creating this. We are developing this experiment. just by showing up and breathing together in various ways. So, uh, yeah, so I, I encourage, everybody's close enough geographically. I know Ruth Damper is a little bit more of a drive, but we have so many different um entry points over the summer for the welcome garden to be physically together outside in this beautiful space. This really beautiful space of protection and solidarity. It's really coming into its own, just watching different people come. Yesterday, when Seitetsu and I were, were working, Joki joined us. She lives downstairs 
in Esther's house. She's Kenyan. And, you know, one of the people who's teaching us gardening this year is Wangari, who's also Kenyan. <laughs> and so Joki, who has a knee problem, couldn't get down in, into the soil with us digging. But she was standing right there with us and she was helping. She was, she was kind of encouraging. So there's, there's just something about this, you know, that just, I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I want to say this to you because I hope that you'll come. Come to meet whoever else comes, you know, the things that are, are in the soil, whatever grows out of the soil, the human beings who walk through the gate, the neighbors who are peeking through their blinds <laughs> as more and more people come and more and more Kenyans and maybe Rwandans and Ugandans <laughs> and Hondurans come. It's really beautiful. But so just back to the body right now, right here. So let's just practice this for a moment and just see how it is for you. <laughs> Maybe this is part of just calming, the settling. You know, so this is how this practice of shikantaza I see actually as both so-called vipassana, seeing each thing as it is, and so-called shamatha, calming the mind, abiding in calm. It's both in the stillness, this dance of our aliveness. Practicing with that shadow, dancing with that shadow of the aliveness of our calm, not the complacency, stagnation of calm. And neither the stirred up, maybe judgy othering of inquiry of noticing difference. So just on the inhale, and this of course is with your spine long, feeling your rootedness in the soil of this planet, planted, rooted, through the bottom part of the body and then growing up, extending up out of that soil, out of the ground of our presence right now. Opening in this way, allowing the breath to move freely and fully. The breath, which itself might be this dance of our aliveness, the dance with the shadow. Breathing in. Embracing, opening, inquiry, stimulus, and exhaling fully, completely, releasing, trusting. Do it again on the inhale, full and complete inhale, fully here, seeing each thing as it is not forsaking anything, and on the exhale, complete release. Letting it all go, allowing everything to be just as it is. Inhaling fully, 
full embrace of the world just as it is. Exhaling, complete release. Allowing calm, allowing peace. Maybe just for a moment, just on your own, exploring your own inhale, your own exhale. Bodily, energetically. I don't know, this is, you know, a way, bodily way of enacting the truth of suffering. And suffering and the end of suffering is two things, the inhale, the exhale, the engagement, the release, the inquiry, the response. Yeah, the choice, the agency of our body, putting our body right in the middle of the whole predicament. Not separating from the whole predicament breathing with the whole predicament, embracing the whole predicament, releasing together within the whole predicament. Here's how we practice it every day. We call it the Heart Sutra. That form, feeling, perception, impulse, and consciousness, which is like a dream, like an echo, a mock show, a mirage, a reflection of the moon and water, an apparition, is neither bound nor freed. Even so, form, sensation, perception, formation, consciousness, what we call the self, which is past, future, or present, is neither bound nor freed. And why? Because of the non-beingness of form, sensation, perception, formation, consciousness, a.k.a. the self. Even so, the self, whether it be wholesome or unwholesome, defiled or undefiled, tainted or untainted, with or without outflows, worldly or super mundane, defiled or purified, is neither bound nor freed, on account of its non-beingness, its quiet calm, its own being, its emptiness, signlessness, wishlessness, because it has not been brought together or produced. And that is true of all dharmas. And then we say, as the capping phrase, gate, gate, paragate, Parasamgate Bodhisvaha. Bodhisvaha, welcome Buddha. Hallelujah.
Amen. Okay. Thank you. So let's take um, just a few minutes. Please don't log off. Stay right here. Meet your Dharma friend. Meet the Buddha this morning. <laughs> Buddha, only Buddha together with a Buddha is what we we say all the time in Zen. Only a Buddha together with a Buddha can bring forth the Buddha Dharma. So here we're going to practice it. Pairing up for just a few minutes. Maybe you can talk together about this engage release, this bringing forth, letting go, this inquiry and response calm abiding especially for those of you who've practiced from the insight in the insight tradition more specifically how is this for you is there a specific question how are you doing with this practice of holding on to nothing and embracing everything what does it look like on the ground okay just a few minutes and then we'll come back together in the larger group thank you see you shortly